Welcome to Sex Communication, a project aimed at changing how people talk about sex. It features audio recordings of sex acts, extremely frank conversations, and many confessionals. Please note that our content is explicit and uncensored. And while these episodes may indeed arouse you, the intent is to inform and inspire. Join us now for a judgment and shame-free exploration of sex. Sexy, sexy, sex stuff. Sex. Hello and welcome to episode 37. Today I'm sharing with you my interview with Blackson, otherwise known as the kinky black educator on Instagram. We discuss their identity as a non-binary person of color and the work they do within the BDSM community. It was a pleasure to speak with someone else so open about sex and sexuality, and our conversation covers many topics. In addition to gender and race, we also discuss trauma and porn and pretty much everything in between. All right then, here we go. Well, thank you again for agreeing to do this. I really appreciate you taking the time. Would you introduce yourself for me? (laughs) Uh, Hello, Uh, (laughs) my name is Blackson. Uh, I am a Philly, Philadelphia slash East Coast based uh, professional dominant of color. I am a BDSM educator. Uh, I am a visual artist. I am a writer. I am also a consultant. I am queer identified, pansexual identified as non-binary, AMAB, and uh, my pronouns are they, them. All right. So just to jump in, so how do you distinguish between, you know, because there are a lot of labels you've just listed. So the difference for you between queer and pansexual and your non-binary identification, like how do all of those things? So for me in my, I do want to, I do want to, um, uh, what's the word? I, I, I do want to preface with that these uh, definitions are unique to me. They're not necessarily uh, umbrella to describe other individuals. Right. Uh, so queer for me is not just just it doesn't it doesn't just consist of my sexuality. You know, if you look at a if you look at a uh, the definition of queer or how it's been uh, usually like use is uh, meant to be like strange or other than or otherworldly or departing from what people see as the status quo. So queer for me in that way uh, is a way of life for me and how I live in that, you know, the things that I find interesting, the things that I enjoy, the things that I think about, the things, uh, you know, just encompassing it like in that queerness. Yeah. Um, my pansexuality just means that if, if uh, we like each other, uh, I'm not concerned with what's between your legs. We, there might be the discussion of logistics <laughs> involved, like what's going where. But other than that, I could I could honestly care less. And then last but not least, uh, non-binary. Non-binary for me um, is something that it took me a long, long time to arrive at. Um, I have struggled with my sense of gender. I was assigned male at birth. Um, and you know, as you, as you, as you live and breathe as a person who was assigned male at birth, you're expected to exist in a certain way. You, you are expected to speak a certain way. You are expected to do uh, certain things in relation to what the rest of the world, uh, expects of you in terms of like patriarchy and like all that good stuff or what a man should be. But I didn't really, I never really (laughs) felt like a man or a boy Mm. or, and I didn't feel like a girl or a woman, you know, but I like traits and characteristics. 
um, from from each. And I found that like at different times I would embody those traditional, you know, masculine or feminine or whatever, you know, traits and characteristics. So um, just after a long time of just wondering and thinking, um, I I arrived at non-binary in relation to my own sense of gender, my sense of, I guess, um, to just kind of in a way to rebel against, um, you know, what's expected of me. Uh, I struggled with dysphoria for a minute and wanted my body to look certain ways and didn't want it to like look certain ways. Um, you know, dysphoria is not a prerequisite for, you know, identifying as trans. I do want to say that. But uh, yeah, it's just, I just, it's just how I feel, I guess. I, I would feel like blacks and or nothing at all. I didn't ever feel like a, a man or a woman. It's just, I felt like me or nothing at all. And that's what, that was one of the biggest things that helped me arrive at, at that non-binary identifier. I see. And I did see in a, a few places in your um, in your press stories, you, you know, you've been described as non-binary man. Now, is that something that... Non-binary, non-binary man um, is, is a... The man part is a modifier to non-binary to describe how I present or okay. how I mostly um, am perceived or the mode. I am a very masculine behaving um, individual. I would say... 60 to 70 percent of the time uh but man mostly describes like my presentation uh most of the time okay and when you were describing the dysphoria that you said you experienced with your own body are you talking about your own genitalia or you're talking about just you know your body image my 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 body image um and not just my body image but like having uh a part of me that I'm expected to like do certain ways, you know, a, a penis, uh, as, as, as a person with a penis, you know, it's put on this, like, I don't know. It's, a, it's put on a pedestal in which it like, seems like, like people like, or society makes it like this really like important thing mm-hmm. and it puts it first. Um, so I had, I had a lot of dysphoria just about like having a penis and like looking at it and like the, my feelings towards uh that and what was like um expected of me and then the rest of my body you know I would see it a certain way and you know I would always like seek validation and like you know friends or family like oh you look fine but I couldn't see what they were seeing I just felt awful and ugly and like my body wasn't what I wanted it to be. And I'm still like struggling and working through that in terms of like what I want my body to be or what I want my body to look like or what I want to feel in relation to like, you know, uh, altering those things medically. Right. So can you describe what your ideal would be for your own body? You know what? To be completely and totally honest with you, that is something I'm still actually working through. I actually don't know the answer to that. Okay. Yeah, I've, I've been really curious. I mean, I'm I'm happy that you're, you know, so open to talk about this. And if I, you know, I don't want to offend you at all with any of my questions. So if anything for crosses sure. the line for you, just give me a heads up. But oh, for sure. I mean, I, I mean, whenever you ask a marginalized person or marginalized existence to, you know, answer questions like these, it is a form of labor. And I think, you know, for any of your listeners, um, it's important to like to know that, you know, especially when like, you know, so much of 
are, are the, so much of human knowledge is accessible uh, through the internet or whatever, you know, and it's always, it's, it's labor to be constantly asked about like your existence, right. but I have the spoons today. I'm here for an interview. So, um, I thank you for giving me that space to refuse a question or tell you that something makes me uncomfortable. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. It's something I'm, um, well, I mean, the whole reason between bef- behind doing this project rather is, um, it's like giving people the platform to describe firsthand what their own personal and unique experience is, um, you know, and using communication and, you know, the audio recordings, everything is like a demonstration of like, this is the honest reality of what I am going through as a person, whatever that is, because, you know, it's one thing to, you know, watch porn or to read something or to, you know, hear other people discuss it. But unless you're hearing it from the person's mouth, like it's, there's something, you know, that's missing. And I, I think there's so much value and education and, you know, these stories being shared, but also just, I think a lot of us have things that we want to explore and, you know, wonder about our own selves that maybe we don't have the comfort or acceptance of our own self to, you know, to do in that courageous way. Um, so mm-hmm. I'm really hoping to kind of inspire that, you know, that courage and um, self-acceptance in people. Um, and, I, and I do wonder, you know, about the struggle with, not clear cut distinctions between, you know, orientation and identification and what that's like, especially when biologically, like having, like you said, you know, having a penis, there's kind of all these expectations that come along with that, that physical Mm -hmm. reality, you know, I just wonder, I mean, is it problematic when you're engaging in sex with another partner? How do you how do you navigate that? Like, are you more so, turned on by certain genitals? So it's, than it's weird. Um, sometimes, sometimes I am like very about my penis and very like about like using my penis and like it's something I really enjoy. And then when I'm not so much about it, how it manifests is that like my libido just kind of just dwindles and goes away. Um, and I've like tried um, like other forms of sex, like being a bottom or being on the receptive end um, of whatever somebody decides to do to me. But um, that doesn't that didn't really sit right either. So it just kind of appeared to me like using my penis sometimes and not using it. Yeah, in a very case by case basis, very dependent it's, on it's a case by case basis. And that's and that's another thing is that you know so much of like everything that like we're discussing around like gender and sexuality, like it sits on a type of spectrum. Um, and it's hard to say what that spectrum looks like, but things just kind of mull into one another and kind of turn over on themselves and mix around and stuff. Like I can't say what I'll be attracted to tomorrow. Like, you know, I know, I know individuals who were, you know, lesbian into who identified as lesbian until they were 25 years old. Mm. And then turned around and married a man, you know, so I, I, I like, yeah, it's hard to say what, but I think that more than that, to see that as that, I think it's more important to um, have that open mindedness. And I think um, I am, I feel a sense of privilege in that open mindedness to not be, you know, so worried about what the rest of society would think of me or how I would, you know, be perceived if I did this or looked like this and stuff, which allowed me to exercise that that sexual freedom or that gender or that freedom and gender 
uh, and so on and so forth. Like, I don't think anything is, is as clear cut except for, I mean, maybe genitalia or the way that people's like bodies like simply look. But, you know, as we draw that distinction between sex and gender, um, the expression can go lots and lots of different ways. Yeah. So have you ever had an experience where you're with somebody that identifies as male or maybe has male genitalia and you're, and you're used, no, let me finish the question. It's a, an extended question. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> no problem. Mm-hmm. And you are using your penis actively, but in your mind perhaps, and maybe the, the partner, the, how they identify and present isn't really an issue, but say you're engaging sexually and you're in a mindset or, you know, in an experience where you're identifying with the more um, ambiguous or perhaps female side of you, but you're actively using your penis is like there this battle between your mind and your body with like what you're, you're doing it and how you're engaging with another person and how you're feeling internally. Um, no, because I don't, I mean, I don't, there's an ebb and flow between like, I'm still trying to like figure out just what my, like my body looks like or what I want my body to look like. Um, and I, <laughs> I, 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 it's not something I really give a whole lot of thinking about. Like, you know, folks will be on the receiving end or something or on the giving end or something. And, you know, depending on how I feel, we just kind of converse and communicate and navigate that, you know, the best way we can possible. Um, yeah, I try to, I try to have that. And that's why, that's another one, like a reason why I identify as non-binary because the ebb and flow that like, uh, is within me from like different parts of myself um, in relation to like sex and gender. So, you know, more than anything, it's about communication and just seeing what's what or what's going to happen or how things are going to go or how things are going to look. Yeah. So can you tell me about how you got into um, sex education and kink education specifically? Like what, how did that all begin for you? So sex education probably started for me around two years ago. at a place at a sex shop here in Philadelphia and I had worked there for some time and I had practiced kink for a while, um, as well, but this was a sex shop that also has like classes and stuff like that. Yeah. So my boss at the time, like pressed on me and pressed on me and pressed on me, teach, 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 teach. So one day I gave in <laughs> And I ended up teaching uh, some classes that were aimed at PLC um, and like teaching like a BDSM 101. Yeah. And that was the first class. I mean, I've taught like friends like more about kink and stuff like that. And was that friend that was always like, you know, telling your buddies to, you know, pee after sex and like stuff like that. But formally, I didn't start teaching until about two years ago. And did you receive training? Because I, I did find you on Instagram, um, and I'm going to include all of your handles in my show notes, but I found you <laughs> first under uh, the at Kinky Black Educator. And yeah. I, I really appreciated, you know, you, you give such practical, matter-of-fact um, tips on how to do these things. And I love that you don't present it in this salacious way, and it's just so approachable. But one of the first videos that I saw was... Um, was about choking and you were talking about the distinction between, you know, the blood choke and the air choke and just the manner in which you described all of it. I made me wonder, do you have medical training? 
Because it you, <laughs> you know, seem I mean, so a, well a, informed a, on the anatomy <laughs> of it. I, I was just curious. No, I'm I'm a student of life. I've just I've read a lot um, of things and spent time like reading. Uh, I've never had like any like training training as far as like uh, the things that I do. I'm a very visual learner. Yeah. Um, and you know, even something as simple as as choking. Uh, can be like read about like somewhere uh and in, in, in any amount of books or any like number of like articles and stuff and i've just picked up stuff over the years i mean i discovered i'm 31 years old i discovered kink when i was 16 i started practicing when i was 19 mm-hmm. and so it's been about it's been about 12 years yeah since I've like been doing all of the things and it's just i've collected lots of knowledge from lots of different places through my own means <laughs> And for you, and because I know, you know I'm active myself in the kink community and, and know a lot of people who are. And of course, all of these things are completely subjective. Um, but I mean, for your own personal use, is kink something that is always accompanied by something sexual or it's something that you engage in more <laughs> in terms of like just exploration <laughs> and play? Yeah. Um, no, it's kink or kink. I th- well, first I want to, I want to differentiate between like kink and like BDSM. I don't want them to get mauled together. Um, that's something that I like try to do to like, try to do like BDSM for me, in my opinion, involves, um, so not always like formalities and stuff like that, but like general kink for to me, general kink is like, you know, you're like with a partner and like someone chokes someone like, during sex or, you know, somebody's ass gets slapped or something like that, you know, in relation to like BDSM, I think it's like more of a formal thing or more of a, of a, of a, of a discipline. Mm. Cause it's like, you know, everybody has so many different definitions of kink or what kinky is. Everybody pretty much has a, a very like, um, I don't want to say limited, but very, very, um, very, uh, tight, uh, very tight ideas of what uh, BDSM is as it encompasses like some different things. Um, say what you say one more time. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, for you. Okay. So just using the term BDSM in, instead of kink, like, so it, it sounds like it's something, you know, you engage in with sex and without sex. Is that? Accurate? Yeah, it, it, it definitely is. I don't think it's necessarily um, to, like include sex or sexual contact of any type with um, BDSM because there are other there are other aspects of BDSM that are so important that don't get as much like limelight or gets as as, as talked about um, that as they as they should and like a lot of people you know they went and watched you know that Fifty Shades movie or read that book and it awoke something inside them but as a result they have a tendency to. Um, associate that with with subject matter of a sexual nature you know there's healing in bdsm you know bdsm like allows you know people who have experienced assault to use consent and communication to change narratives or to become more comfortable with um with other parts of their life um bdsm has made me a better person it's made me communicative it's made me more mindful of things it's made me encompassing and the questions that i ask people Hmm. um concerning like their own well-being and so on and so forth but i i would say that a lot of what i do nowadays like i tell people i'm a pro professional dominant 
they like imagine I'm like beating the shit out of people, <laughs> but I'm more something more akin to a therapist to be completely and totally honest with you. You know, I have a client now who is trying, who is we're manifesting in their life um, for them to let go, for them to um, become more comfortable with the concept of letting go and also exerting dominance over their own existence. Right. And it's 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 that kind of stuff that like really doesn't get talked about like i'm helping like in a sense of speaking change this person's existence you know no matter how temporary it may be um so i think that it's it's a matter of how you approach it and what you internalize as you come into bdsm and that open mind and heart that you have to keep so you don't hold on you have to be willing to unlearn and unpack and relearn and repack things in order to fully like flourish here. Right. I tell people all the time, I didn't really flourish in BDSM until I separated my masculinity from my, my, my BDSM, my masculinity from my kink. Because communication is such a, a big part of it. You know, this negotiation, you know, like you, you have to voice what you want and what is not okay. And it sounds like that's probably a big part of how you're able to help this person that you described working with is like, you know, especially for somebody that's gone through trauma, I've been assaulted and, and been in a lot of abusive situations. And it's kind of, you know, to be able to flip the script on that kind of uh, experience and like, be a person in power in that same situation is like, it is a very healing thing. But you know, you have to stand up for yourself, you have to voice exactly what you want, you know, in that communication and that dialogue before anything can happen. Um, do you look at it the same way? I, you know, one of my biggest things that I, I tell like my students or my followers or people I'm teaching is, you know, the importance of, of advocating uh, for oneself. You know, we have a, one of my dogs is going crazy. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, we have a we have a saying in the South. I've, I've spent a considerable amount of time in Mississippi, and uh, that is a closed mouth does not get fed. <laughs> yes. All right. So, you know, I, I personally, I want to work with individuals who at the very least have the ability to articulate some semblance of their wants, needs, desires, concerns, and so on and so forth. That's important in terms of, you know, safety, uh, communication, transparency, honesty, and so on and so forth. So, you know, I think that if this is something that you want to like enter into, that you need to be able to at least say that. And sometimes you don't know. Sometimes you seriously don't know. Um, I run across individuals who, you know, I've never tried BDSM and I want to try it out. I want to try whatever. I want to try rope. And, you know, that requires a long conversation. And it's, you know, it's funny. You would be surprised at the number of people who didn't realize that it would require a very long conversation. And in some instances, several conversations, you know, about the thing that they have found interesting. And they saw a really pretty picture of, you know, someone who is being suspended and they don't realize that how much, you know, uh, how much stamina that requires. So I think, I think that, um, I think that people should should learn to advocate for themselves, should learn to communicate, should learn to increase those communication skills. Um, yeah, that's important. Yeah. 
So, I mean, you mentioned you got into the kink scene like pretty early and pretty early on also started um, like actively participating in it. Do you feel that you're more open generally about like your own sexuality and your sexual experiences because of that? Or, I mean, do you feel like that's something that innate to you that, you know, you were born with kind of this openness or like, did it manifest in a different way? Or do you feel like you do struggle with being open about these things with people that are not in this realm with you? Well, the place where I'm at is a combination of uh, trauma and not giving a fuck. <laughs> Again, when you're when you're AMAT, when you're born male, mm. and you identify as a man for most of your life, people expect certain things out of you. Other men expect certain things out of you. Women expect certain things out of you. Um, and you're 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 made to feel like that you must behave in this way. I'm not supposed to cry because I'm a man. I'm not supposed to be soft or mushy because I'm a man. I can't wear this. I can't put this on. I can't talk this way. I can't do this with my body. I can't go to this place. All these things because I'm a man. So I existed for a very long time fitting into that while slowly kind of um, uh, diverging from that from that mindset mm-hmm. and finding freedom in the expression of sexuality. Um, I come from a I come from a family of you know my dad was a Muslim. Um, my, you know, my main family that I spent most of my life with, my mom was, you know, missionary Baptist and, you know, we were in the church and, you know, laying with a man was wrong and you should not have children out of wedlock and like all of this stuff. And I was always kind of the black sheep on my family. And at some point you just kind of start giving us, you just, you stop giving a fuck at some point. You don't, you're not equipped because you realize that if you live your life in accordance to what others expect of you, that you'll never ascertain any semblance of happiness. And I realized that like very, very, very early. So, you know, at 17 years old, that was the first time I moved out and got on my own. Uh, and it's been like that, like ever since. Um, so it's, and, and I, and I want to say that in, in not giving a fuck in my visibility, you know, I, there's a there's a sense of privilege, like to, to say that, because some people are held down again by their own families, yeah. by, you know, uh, religious indoctrination, by, you know, patriarchy, by, you know, a host of myriad of other things that will not allow a person to express their innermost desires or wants or needs as pertains to sex. One of the most important things someone said to me was to internalize the importance of possibly being the first domino. We've all seen dominoes that they're like stacked together. Yeah. They push one down and they like all collapse on one another. As a result of my visibility, I've helped embolden other POC and other individuals to engage in those things in which they are interested in, like BDSM, like kink, like rope, and so on and so forth. Someone has to be that first domino. Someone has to be visible so that others can come into the light as well if they want to, like, or not. But, you know, I get messages all the time from, especially from other POC who just, you know, thank me for existing and thanking me for what I do. And it's those words 
that allow me to continue um, what I what I do. You know, at some point, at some point when you when you do something of this magnitude, at some point it becomes not about you anymore. Right. The work that I do, my Instagram, my writings, like all that, it's not about me anymore. <laughs> it, it, that lost. I lost meaning a long time ago. I lost that meaning a long time ago. This isn't about me anymore. That's about these individuals who come seeking knowledge in a safe place with people that look like them, with people who share their experiences, with people with with someone who wants to uh, give you something that's digestible, that's familiar to you, that has some semblance of familiarity to you, so that you too can indulge in this thing that you find interesting in a safe way that validates, celebrates. And makes you a better person and closer to just to what you want to be. Yeah, <laughs> I, I have. Um, well, I, I mean, all of our experiences are different, but the way you were describing, you know, kind of this separation mm-hmm. from your family early on, is your relationship strained with your family? I mean, are they accepting oh, yeah. where you are? My uh, my mother and I are strange. We um we just never ever got along i was very the only way i can really describe this is that like from my like core family i was just very 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 different from the rest of them and never quite fit in with them uh unfortunately my mom chose to use drugs uh for most of my existence uh for a very very long time and it's caused her to make decisions and say things and do things uh as a result of that you know, and it's, it's so funny about like, so funny about trauma, like trauma can either, you know, destroy or, 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 or help you like grow and like in other ways. And that's the way you have to kind of look at things mm-hmm. as multifaceted. Yeah. And I saw trauma like that as something that was multifaceted. So, you know, trauma, experiencing trauma allowed me to exercise self-care in a way that's hard for some people. You know, some people find it difficult to, to exercise self-care or they think that self-care is going to a spa or, or getting a massage when self-care is, you know, distancing yourself from trauma. Right. It's getting away from toxic relationships and individuals in your life. To me, that's what self-care is. And, you know, just as a result of just how my entire family was, just as individuals. My grandfather beat my grandmother on a regular um, in front of, like, his grandkids. You know, I've seen police arrest both my mother and my grandfather and my aunt. You know, I've just, I've just seen a lot. And they, <laughs> they live, you know, in the middle of the country. And I just got away from that. I don't have time with it because you, you give people chances, right? You try to give people chances. You try to like, oh my God, I, I am of your blood. You know, we should totally have a relationship of some sort. Uh, and it's just, it's just nothing there. You know, they don't want to, they don't want to do the work that you, that you want to do. One of the last conversations I had with my mother, cause I got on the phone with her she had called me and I had told her before to, you know, I really wish, you know, I love you. I don't hate you, but I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to be associated with you. And she didn't take this seriously. She would say, oh, but you're my baby. And you're this and you're that. And I got on the phone with my mother and I asked her to be quiet and I asked her to listen to me. And she did, because I think she can hear that the tone of my voice was a little bit different than it had been before. 
And I told my mother, I want you to know something, that what I'm about to tell you is the honest and goodness truth. That's from the bottom of my heart and from the very depths of my soul. I want you to know that I don't think about you. I want you to know that you don't enter my thoughts or my heart. I want you to know that I don't talk about you. I don't talk about any experiences with you. I don't wonder about your well-being. I don't wonder about where you are. I don't wonder about your safety. I don't even wonder about your mortality. I want you to know that until you acknowledge the trauma that you have caused me and your children, you will not hear from me. You will not receive any phone calls. You will receive no mail. You will not see my existence anywhere near yours. And if you do, you speaking to me will only get you embarrassed because I have nothing to say to you until you acknowledge that. And that's what I said to my mother. And so I assume she never acknowledged it. She never acknowledged it. Yeah. I can relate a lot. I'm currently estranged from my own mother for slightly different reasons, although I would say the background of where of what has led us to this point is very similar to what you're describing. And like, there's a very abusive situation that she, uh, very passively allowed and and even blamed on me. And it's something she's never acknowledged. And even at the time was so detached from it in a way that it's like, she was just in complete denial that, uh, she was a part of it, that it had even happened. Mm -hmm. And it's gotten to be something that I've, kind of given up on, um, you know, any hope of, of resolution or acknowledgement of it, you know, and now the struggles that we have are based on, you know, like sexuality being a big part of, of what I'm doing and things, you know, like this is an important part of my life. It's an important part of my work and it's very frustrating to not be able to share, you know, what's important to me with you because you just mock me or, or whatever. But to hear you say what, um, to describe what you said to your mother, like, that's so powerful to me. And I'm so, (laughs) I was just, um, it made me tear up a little bit. That's, that's such a courageous thing to say and to set that boundary with, you know, cause your mother, like that connection, that relationship, like that's, this is a huge part of, of, you know, of your history and your, I, you know, just being a person, like this is where you came from. So it's so difficult when that relationship is less than ideal to be generous. But, um, yeah. Um, yeah. I've, I've, another thing I wanted to bring up, I've been in sobriety for about, it'll be seven years next month. And one of the things that comes up a lot, something that's highly encouraged, you know, separating from toxic people and toxic relationships and self-care being this um, matter, like you said, not of necessarily like a spa day or eating something that you love, but like really valuing yourself, investing in yourself and like identifying what are the healthiest situations for you. Mm -hmm. Um, But also, you know, that change comes when the pain becomes too great to stay the same. And, Mm. uh, (laughs) I have somebody that always talks about uh, lobsters, that when lobsters grow, because they're constantly shedding and regrowing new shells, and the only way that they know that it's time to grow a new shell is because the shell that they're in currently becomes so tight and so painful that they have no choice but to do that. That pain is this indication of, you know, this is a, a, a turning point. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, it, and it sounds like that, like in your experience growing up and, you know, your identity and sexuality and all of these things evolving and developing, it sounds like, you know, the struggles that you dealt with were kind of what 
put the pressure on you to have, you know, kind of like this growth? Does that, do you identify with that or does it seem much more organic? Yeah, I, I, I definitely uh, will say that uh, trauma was something that was both a positive and a negative uh, in my life. Cause I'm not, I, again, um, viewed it as something that was multifaceted and it was like, I could let this destroy me and I can, you know, feel sorry for myself and I can like do all of this, you know, other stuff or I can, you know, pick myself up and pave my own way and do the things that I need to do in order to, you know, ascertain happiness, you know, cause I wasn't happy there. I wasn't happy with her. I wasn't happy with where I was living. I wasn't, you know, anything. So <laughs> I, I did what I needed to do um, on the strength of trauma to change and go and grab that, 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 that sense of happiness or that, or as close as possible uh, to it as I can get, you know, my life isn't exactly what I want or need it to be, but it's, it's a lot better than it once was, you know? Yeah. So can you tell me more about the other projects that you're involved in? Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. So, um, Kiki Black Educator is my um, main account. Um, It's where I teach from, where I am my goofy self, where I talk to folks about sex and throw on a few memes here and there. But the point of the point of that account is, you know, for me to provide education about BDSM in a way that uh, goes against some of what people understand about it. You know, something as simple as, you know, telling someone that a, a, a person who identifies as a submissive um, enjoys a, a very different and in some cases more power than someone who identifies as a dom or top because that dom or that top has to uh, agree to what to, to, to the parameters of what has been discussed during negotiation. Um, so that's what that accounts for. And then Sin Black, which is actually a uh, reversal of the uh what's the what's the word that i want it's uh when you um have a word and you break it down into parts and then each part like an acronym not an acronym but uh uh syllable it's a it's 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 a reversing of the syllables in my name laxin sin black yeah and that is just where i post uh the more kinky things that i do I'm actually going to rebrand that page soon because I think I just wanted to be a photography page uh, in general for just the kink for the my kinky friends and what I do with my kinky friends. And yeah, just the, something to just kind of like put all of the photos and photography and document a lot of the things that I do with various individuals who have consented to having things shared. And then last but not least, Black and Brown and Blue was a platform that was started in February. And after listening, um, that was born after, you know, going to a porn site and going into that porn site and seeing, oh, we have a BBC category, we have an Asian category, we have a Desi category, but you won't find the white category on your favorite porn site. You won't. Uh, the low representation watching like porn and like seeing like <laughs> seeing like 
black men reduced to just their body parts yeah. or, you know, commodifying, <laughs> commodifying, you know, labor in that way or the lack of representation and, you know, a rope page. I would go to different like Instagrams page for like rope or for kink and it would, and everybody on that page would be white. Everybody with the exception of like maybe one person, you know, and these are people that live in America who lived in like major cities, you know? So I wanted to put out or flood um, media in some way that would allow for the representation that I wanted to see. Yeah. And I, I, I needed that. I wanted that. And I wanted other people of color to see that representation that, hey, you know, we do this too. And if you're thinking about like doing it, there's space for you here. How, how does it play into like your own viewing of pornography? I, I enjoy like pornography in, in various forms. Um, but as a result of, you know, my lived experiences, things that I've looked, I've, I've looked at and, the, you know, the ways that I've been treated in my own experiences are going to a play party in my younger years. And, you know, oh, my God, I've always wanted to play with a black guy. Oh, my God, I've always wanted to sleep with a black guy. Yeah. Oh, my God, I bet your cock is huge. Oh, my God. And like all of these different things that like white people would like say to me, like on a regular basis, um, really got me to thinking about my own body and my own existence and the type of labor that I'm like putting out into the world, I still enjoy pornography uh, in a lot of different ways. Um, a lot of the pornography, I actually, what's funny is, is that like, even though I enjoy, I enjoy porn. Um, I don't enjoy traditional porn anymore. Um, where everybody's like skinny and like chiseled and like all of the things. Like I really enjoy porn that subverts like the the status quo when there are queer individuals you know doing porn you know the crash pad series comes to mind people with different types of bodies you know fat individuals disabled individuals black individuals people laughing during their pornography uh uh and like many other things that you don't see you don't see consent conversations of pornography you don't see negotiation and pornography you know and these are the things that i seek out and i and i look at more so nowadays more so than i did like back then because we have we have language now and we have uh the we, we have internalized that representation matters inclusion uh, matters and again when we don't include those things when we don't talk about those things when we don't put those things at the forefront that gate gets created again and again and again and again where to somebody won't even indulge in or try to indulge in what they find interesting because they don't think it's for them because they don't see themselves represented right. you know i one of my favorite individuals uh, one of my colleagues is on the Instagram is the Kinky Whomping Willow, and um, the Kinky Whomping uh, Willow is a, a fat identified person of color um, who just makes wonderful, wonderful just talks and, and videos. And I've seen them like suspend people in person, and like they just you know I I went to a conference earlier this year that was solely about rope, and you know there were fat identified individuals being suspended and put up in the air but media would have you think that it's all like skinny small human beings yeah. you know and even even worse is that like some tops will even say like oh i can't tie you or i can't 
to spin you because you're too big or this and that, which means they're not even like people aren't even equipped to do this for like for, for, for individuals that fall outside of their own world or their, their own world view or understanding. So, um, I enjoy porn. I consume porn, but the type of porn that I consume is very different from what I was consuming, you know, 10 years ago. Now, when you say that it's very different, so is it a matter of like you're going to specific places for this type of porn that inherently includes more diversity? Or is it a matter of what you're searching for? Like, how how are you, you know, finding the porn that, that is satisfying to you? I have so many friends who make porn. <laughs> like nowadays, a lot of the times I'm like watching my friends porn. <laughs> or, you know, uh, I had a subscription to the Crash Pad series mm. uh, for, for a long time. Uh, we just had a we just had a film festival here. Uh, shout out to uh, Ava Woe and the Hot Bits Film Festival for the wonderful, wonderful things that they are doing. I watched I watched a porn recently that involve uh, two trans-identified individuals and a Coke bottle. I won't get into the colorful details, <laughs> but it was awesome to watch something that just wasn't just general, regular like porn. Like I wanna, I wanna, I wanna be, I wanna be able to enjoy. Um, I wanna be able to enjoy what I'm viewing, mm-hmm. and I also wanna be conscious of what like. I consume and what I used to consume like isn't what I can what I can I, I think more about like what I consume like what goes into my head and mind and body and the same things that I, I used to get off on it just doesn't it just doesn't like appeal to me anymore yeah. you know so I think that diversity is more than just you know color skin tone ethnicity you know it means um including like fat individuals yeah stable individuals you know, people who are, you know, uh, people who identify as autistic, you know, people like this, this, this is, this is what diversity and inclusion and representation like really is. Is there a list of the kind of porn that you're, you're seeking? Um, Eva Wool, uh is a person, they're easily findable, uh, E-V-A-W-O, um, they are a visual artist. Um, they are world traveler. They make porn. They are one of the sweetest individuals in the entire city of Philadelphia. A Order Films Will Never Die is also um, a porn company. Um, a Order makes awesome, amazing porn that like really makes you like feel stuff. Mm. Um, let's see here. Um, the Bishop Black. Bishop Black is a Berlin-based uh, performer who also makes just porn that just is a far cry from the the status quo uh, and the stuff that you like would normally consume. Um, Give me a second to think. I want to make sure I'm getting everybody. (laughs) Um, Pink and White Productions. Pink and White Productions would actually be easier for you to um, come across on Instagram uh, because they they have a page and they actually run the Crash Ad series and they also run um, Pink Label TV which uh, is a hub for filmmakers, for adult film filmmakers uh, that fall outside of that that kind of like status quo as well. So those are like so those are some of my favorite. Oh, um, death, um, death by film or uh, Roxanne. Yeah. Um, um, is also another amazing. Um, they actually Roxanne 
And my other friend, the Insatiable Fuzz, made the awesome porn that I talked about with the uh, harness and the Coke bottle, which was very well received at the Hot Bits Film Festival, who I believe is actually touring the country right now and during doing their uh, porn festival in different cities right now. Try not to like leave too many people out. If like anyone that I know is listening, if I didn't mention you, I'm so sorry. Oh my god. <laughs> um, if you want to see like amazing and just different and just soul stirring, and you know, definitely check out check out A Order Films. A Order Films is it's really something special um, with amazing individuals, all of whom just. Yeah, it's like a collective almost. And I'm just really proud that like I know them <laughs> or any of them that are like a part of that. So your black and brown and blue project, are you are you off of Instagram? Are you gonna be, you know, producing porn yourself? So So I um I just actually made my first porn yesterday for a friend of mine. With uh, uh, and Naturally Kinky, I saw this on your story. Yeah, the Naturally Kinky. Uh we just made some porn yesterday. Uh, that was my first time. I mean, I've shot people. I've done still photography uh, since February, <laughs> to be honest with you. Uh, I I couldn't pay a photographer. So, you know, along with well, using the, the, the power from like or the the inspiration from like starting my own platform, I was like, well, I can't pay a photographer. I'll just I'll just take the pictures myself. And yeah. <laughs> it's been really good. <laughs> it's like turned out really good somehow i don't yeah so um porn is something that i want to make that i'm gearing up to do uh but it requires capital it requires you know networking it requires time it requires resources um it requires a better camera too (laughs) the camera i have right now is it gonna cut it um so yeah that i think that i can honest I, i feel like i can confidently say that I will start probably officially making porn sometime between now and the summer of 2020. Well, I look forward to that. Is there uh, another thing I just always ask any everybody? So is there anything sexually that you can think of that you've been, you know, just musing on that you have not tried that you are looking forward to in the future? Something new? Uh, yeah, I think, I think people have a tendency to think that my, like, knowledge is all encompassing but like i've had an interest in like needle play for a while um and i have never done needle play nor do i know how to do needle play so that's something that i need i want to take out the time uh to learn Mm. as far as like things i've done sexually i've done so 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 much like if there's a bucket list (laughs) it's mostly complete (laughs) um yeah so i am looking to learn um, new skills and learn uh new things as well because you know it's 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 the learning process never stops like once you think you're you're done that's when you're you're finished just as a as a as an entity as a as an existence and if you ever think that the learning stops so i will i always continue to seek like new knowledge and new experiences as well keep an open heart and an open mind so yeah i think needle play is up for next um what else having that staples i would like to get do some staples some stapling never had the pleasure of doing that and yeah i (laughs) jesus (laughs) 
So given, you know, your experience and your openness, like, are there still things though that, you know, personally and sexually that you, you don't share? Things that I don't share? Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, I'm like supremely transparent. Like, you know, anyone who's romantically linked with me or anyone who's seen like my Tinder or my OkCupid or my Grinder profile can tell you like one of the first things I mentioned is having um, herpes simplex virus too, you know, because I think that talking about it in this like open way um, creates dialogue and discourse and emboldens other people that can like talk about stuff. You know, anytime I've talked about like having herpes on my profile, I get at least four messages about people who just like need advice and need to talk about it or, you know, that they have it too and they they haven't revealed it to anyone and they're terrified and like, you know, like these things. I just I just live my life very openly and very transparently. I've shared my real name with my followers. Hi, my name is Oba. Because yeah. <laughs> um, I just I just think that it's it's good. I never want to see I'll never want to I never want to seem unreachable or unattainable or unrelatable. Like you can't talk to me. Like you can't um relate to me. You know, which is why you know, that main page is set up in the way that it is. You notice there are three very different moods between those three platforms. Yeah, yes. <laughs> um, and I'm capable of all three moods, but it was important for me that as an educator, that I always, 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 always be a relatable, approachable, and down to earth. I think you're doing a great job of that. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> Is there anything else that you want to talk about or promote or cover before we finish? Oh! I know you mentioned oh. some appearances, and I know you had posted some conferences. and. Yeah, I got, um, I guess, my next few appearances... Um, Next week is the American Association of Sex Educators, Counselors, and Therapists Conference in Philadelphia. Um, I'll be attending that. Um, I will also be on a panel at that about uh, about the intersection of BDSM and people, and people of color, hmm. um, if I'm not mistaken. And then Dark Odyssey, Dark Odyssey Fusion, which is just a massive, kinky, like, camping event, I believe, like, last year. Um, there were 1,400 individuals from like all over the world at the, on this campground. Um, and that's where I'll be. I'll also be presenting there. I'm teaching two classes on flogging. Uh, my July is filled with photo shoots um, of various, but I still have some open slots if people want to collab. Uh, August, I think I'm pretty cool. And then <laughs> in September, I have to go to Atlanta. Uh, for the Sex Down South conference, I'm not, uh, I'm not presenting at that, but you know, I feel like it's time for a field trip, so I'm gonna take a field trip. Um, and that's pretty much it for now. I mean, stuff randomly pops up in my inbox all the time. I get inquiries for stuff. Um, I just got sent a vibrator from Unbound that, like, I am just raving about. <laughs> that's oh my god, this um. Yeah, since it's sent by me, Unbound, um, they're Unbound Babes. Yeah. On um, Instagram, have this, they have this silicone vibrator called the Ollie. Yes. And oh my baby Jesus, it is. <laughs> it's. Shit. <laughs> it's, it's pretty damn good. Uh, shout out to the Naturally Kinky. Um, shout out to Black Glove. Shout out to Sister, Sister Sexologist. 
Shout out to Feminist Jones. Uh, shout out to the Bishop Black, to Ava Wool, to Mia Superto, to uh, yes, uh, <laughs> to uh, King Shinary, Um Shout out to uh, Miss Goth Booty. Uh, uh, yeah, shout out to the Sexecutioner. Um, Vamp Foley's Meat Grinder, Domina Gia. Um, yeah, I just, there are so many individuals that I just can't think of that have just enriched my online life and have done nothing but like celebrate, um, and support me. And I am just so grateful. Shout out to all of the queer porn filmmakers. Uh, yeah, to Little Lynx Baby, to... Trophy's wife, trophy wife Liz, um, shit, um, Effie Bex, um, Clyde, uh, yeah, <laughs> I can go on and on and on. There's just so many people that have just like really been here in my life, have given me advice, have looked out for me, have you know talked to me when like shit was real, has you know, just supported me in like all of these awesome ways. Um, and I'm just, I'm just so, 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 so grateful for everybody. Um, if I didn't mention you, it is, it is not you. I have ADD and I smoke a lot of weed. So just, just chew my ear off in my inbox. I'm so sorry. Um, well, yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Blackson. I'm, I'm really grateful for this conversation and for you giving me the time to talk about these things. Um, And I wish you all the best with all of the many endeavors. Thank you. Thank you. All right. (laughs) Take care. See you later. Bye. Bye. Hello again. Just an FYI, I have indeed linked to the porn producers and events that Blackson just mentioned. I've also included links to each of their three Instagram platforms. And one more thing. This is Pride Month. And while it is certainly a time for celebration, it is also a time to be mindful of all the work which remains. Rights are being stripped, people are being killed, and the battle for equality continues every day. You can find a link to a number of vetted organizations doing year-round work on behalf of the LGBTQ community included in the show notes. Please consider making a financial donation this month and every month. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of Sex Communication. Did you dig it? Tell a friend. Subscribe. Leave a review on iTunes. Send an email. I really would love for you to do all of these things. And if you'd like to know more about this project, visit graphicpaint.com slash sexpodcast for additional episodes and background on how this all began. And if you'd like to be a part of this podcast, send an email to sex at graphicpaint.com. Every story and experience is valuable, so why not do an interview or submit your own filthy audio? Be a part of our revolution and help us spread the message of sexy self-acceptance.